spoken name. He lurked in the shadows, waiting and hoping she wouldn't take a different room. This was her usual room. He knew that. He knew her. Ghost of Me, the new book by Amanda Steele, can be found at Amazon, Kobo, Waterstones and many, many other Hi guys, it's Andy N. Thanks today for downloading or streaming yet another episode of Spoken Label. As you may or may not be aware, Spoken Label was started in the beginning of 2006. And currently we have well over 150 sessions recorded and sent. Although you can find it on various networks, the full archive is available for streaming and downloading at Spoken label full stop bandcamp.com. It is a free download or free stream in there. But obviously, if you feel like chucking me a few pennies that way, it'd be eternally grateful to help me keep this podcast going and keep improving my equipment, etc. Enjoy. Speak to you soon. Bye bye. Spoken label. Hi guys. Andy N. Spoken label. Back in the house again. On Zoom again today. And I've got a, a gentleman on, on Zoom who I met over at Black Cat Poets, um, Denton's premier poetry night a couple of weeks ago. Unfortunately, just before the lockdown happened, Martin Zurup. Now, Martin, you introduce to everybody, tell them who you are, where, um, obviously, where you're, rich, where you're rich from. I know you're rich, you weren't born in Manchester, were you? So, I'm sure I read somewhere else you were born, you've been moved in Manchester in 1980, I read somewhere. And um, we'll talk about where your work, work came from there. Okay, yeah, well, my name's Martin Zarup. I was born in London um, and uh, I came up to Manchester, yep, in 1980 for, for work. I worked at uh, what used to be called UMIST and got merged with the University of Manchester and uh, basically a mathematician and have been, uh, that was really my job throughout uh, my working life. Um, the poetry really came out of the clouds. I mean, in fact, I started writing poetry on May the 9th, 2006. I can definitely pin it down because, um, uh, well, the trigger was, and I think it's not an uncommon thing of a, of a traumatic beginning to poetry, was my wife's death in 2005. And I went with a couple of friends to uh, over to a Greek island, Ikaria, in uh, 2006, and I was sitting there just looking at the view and had my maths uh, logbook in front of me and then just suddenly wrote a poem. Wow. So, so it just sort of came out of the blue, really. Wow. Uh, Had you never even contemplated writing poetry before that? Have you? No, not, a, not at all, not at all. I think the thing about it was, and it came to my mind, that I've always loved music, and if I... Uh, could write music, I'd love to do that. But of course, for music, you need a different language. Whereas with poetry, obviously, you speak English, you sit down, you can write words. And so that was the beginning of it. And um, I think um, after that, after May, I think I wrote only about a couple of poems. And then I decided later on in the year to go to some courses and so on. And it really, you know, it was really like having a love affair, really. I mean, obviously, it was therapeutic for me, but also being a sort of fairly competitive sort of bloke, I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I want to try and do it the best that I can. Yeah. So, no. so I kept on writing. Yeah, kept yeah, on that writing. That explains why, because obviously, I know you did it. You, you, 
fails that are edited. You did an MA, didn't you, in creative writing? Yeah, yeah, I finished Firstly, the MA in 2011, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was obviously, that's what been showing you nature you are as a person, didn't it? So, yeah. Get on from there, really. So, that's why, because I know you've done them, you've had, obviously, two pamphlets published so far, two full yeah. collections. Should we talk about each one in an order then, basically, and you can tell us as where, okay. where each one came from? Because I know you... Okay. Your original pamphlet, wasn't it? No Fear of Everything, which yeah. was then published by Cinnamon Press. But tell people about that pamphlet, first of all, and where did that one come from? Um, well, that was really, I suppose, the mi a mix of uh, poems about my life, which I, I'd written about. You know, I think when you first start writing, at least for me, it was I started picking up things from my own childhood and bits of politics that I got involved in in the uh, the well-known 60s and so on. And um, and also, of course, some sciencey things. I've always been interested in maths and science, of course. And um, it was always a bit of a challenge to try and write poems, which couldn't be maths lectures or anything like that, because obviously nobody would read that, but to actually relate it to sort of human experience and so on. So I put together a pamphlet of about, I think it was about 25 poems, and put it in for the Cinnamon Pamphlet Competition, and it was one of the winners in 2014. So it was, um, it was published in 2015, yeah, and I was quite pleased with it, really. It's, um, sometimes I look back and think, I wish I could write like that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. You know, <laughs> you, know, know you, you, start, you start off with sort of an emotional rush, really, um, and the trajectory sort of goes, and then after a period of time, you know, um, you begin to uh, change in some way. A lot of filters come down, I think, as well, because it's like uh, when you first start out writing poetry, you don't know what the rules are, so you just write. Yeah. Later on, you sort of think, oh, I shouldn't be putting that down, or, you know, maybe that's not quite right, and therefore you censor yourself much more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know when I first started writing, it was off proper about 12, 13 years ago. You're right, yeah. you rush on it, and I think you start getting more cautious, don't you? You get to know what you're doing more about, should yeah, I be yeah. doing this? And you, make, you, yeah, you yeah. slow down naturally, right? I agree with that one straight away. Yeah, you do. That's, yeah. why I like re that's why I like reading uh, people like Caroline Bird, very surreal. Well, um, poems and really you think wow you know it really blows your mind when you when it, it pulls you out of your comfort zone and um, you really feel you could sit down and write something like that and it's like flying again you know yeah, yeah. completely completely no yeah. obviously I know your, your first full word collection followed pretty quickly after that didn't it also probably by cinnamon in 2016 removing pictures was that collection yeah. actually almost wrote at the time the pamphlet was published? Or you, did that follow later on? I think um, I think a lot of the poems were already there. Um, the, the thing that uh, became the central section of moving pictures was I decided to. Well, I'm of a certain age. Let's put it this way, and I actually lived through the Second World War. Okay, so in a way, although I was only a, <clears throat> only a, a child then. If you like, that's sort of in my consciousness. And so I'd written a poem about uh, being in the cinema with my mother in 1945. And in those days, you had the Pathé News come up. You know, nobody had television. Yeah, yeah, and on the news yeah. in 1945, in May, 
you saw on the news the liberation of the Belsen concentration camp and the very famous pictures of the bulldozers bulldozing the bodies into the pits. And my mother reacted in the cinema and pushed me down below the seat. And I think it was probably the, her action that cemented that image in my mind. And so I wrote a poem about that called Moving Pictures. And that became one poem in a sequence. I decided I was going to write a poem for every month of 1945. So I went through 1945. So that's the central section of the collection Moving Pictures. Um, so it's three sections in the, in the uh, collection, but that central section is a sort of pivot, if you like, of the yeah. collection. So that was really, yeah. Yeah, right, that's fine. Why not straight away, isn't it? That's the name stuff. So like I said, working at your age, I'm not going to ask you for it. I know you're about the same age, but my dad is. So my dad lived through the Second World War as well, he did. And he's told me very similar stories, what he said about that as well, straight away. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously then after that, after that, I know we had a bit of time spare. You had a, you had a couple of years, didn't you? Where you went with your next, your next pamphlet on making waves. Which yeah. This is, this, is, this is what I want to ask you about particularly as well. Because the Making Waves one was published with V Press in 2019. Was um, yeah. obviously based talk talking about the life and science of Einstein. Now, yeah. where did you love for that and love, or if, if that's the right word, where did the interest in Albert Einstein come from? Then? Well, I think part of when I was lecturing in maths, it was applied mathematics, and basically Einstein's Einstein theories, if you like, are quite mathematical. And I actually did some lecturing on them, on the, particularly the general theory of relativity. Oh. And um, so that was it. There's a certain, there's something about science as well as poetry where there's a beauty in structure. And certainly there's a beauty when you see a theory which says precisely what it wants to say, like a poem, but no more and no less. There's no redundancy in it. So it's that beauty, it's that beauty of the, the sparseness in some way. And of course, also Einstein, I mean, lived through the 20th century, well, the first half of it. And uh, so he was involved in the politics, you know, the rise of Nazism, um, you know, the Holocaust, uh, everything. He was called upon because he was a famous physicist to really make statements about these things. So he's always been one of my heroes and uh, there's some wonderful biographies of him which I used to get the, the detail. He, the nice part about it also in some ways was that he was very human and um, he failed in two marriages and he, he said towards the end of his life about one of his friends who helped him with the special theory of relativity that he, um, he didn't know how there's one thing about, it was somebody called Michael Besso, and he said, oh, Michael Besso managed to live with one woman all his life, something I failed to do twice, disgracefully. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I like your sense of humour. I didn't, I didn't know that story. Yeah. I'd be right. So, I mean, so basically, there was a lot, really, there was a lot to write about. You could write huge amounts, really, about his life. Um, and uh, just wonderful science, one, you know, loads of politics, and so on, and um, so he's always been one of my heroes. Yeah, so that was good. I decided I decided to go with a, a, a something, you know, a, a publisher which wasn't uh, Cinnamon, just for a change, really. And V Press was very good, 
And um, so um, that was published quite quickly in, when was it, January of uh, last year, yeah, yeah. yeah. Obviously, um, with the lockdown been on now, it's just unfortunately your case, your second full-length collection has just come out. Yeah. Highwind Press in March. Now, how did you find out about Highwind Press then? Um, I, let me think, uh, High Window Press, I think I'd sent High Window Press some of my poems, which they seem to like, David Cook is the editor, and um, he seemed to like them and he published, I think, four of my poems. And so I approached him and said, would you be interested in, um, you know, this uh, new uh, collection, is anyone there? And he said, show me it. And basically he said, great, you know, and, um, he, I think this year is doing uh, two, uh, two collections per quarter. And it just happens that mine came right at the beginning of the, the year. Uh, I think it was originally going to be later on, but then somebody pulled out. So I got in very early. So in a way, I was lucky to get it published before the lockdown. Yeah, yeah. you were straight away with it. Now, obviously, for people who don't know what the book's about, do you want to tell us all what is anyone there about? Because okay. um, I heard a good chunk of it over at Black Cat Poets and it, it mesmerised me in a moment. Okay, okay. I think it's part, it's a mix of uh, two things. One, it's a mix of um, poems which relate to past friends who I've lost, particularly two very good friends who both have died the last few years. Um, so it was really partly about that and partly because I've always been interested in the nature of human consciousness. And the question is really, um, where does it come from? Can you have things like machines thinking? You know, we're getting to, to, towards lots of AI thinking, possibly machines being able to do this and that. Can they ever be creative in the way that human beings are creative? And the other thing, of course, is, is there life outside of uh, the earth, other places? Yeah. yeah. The robotic one really hit me interesting because after I'm doing, to be honest with you, you wouldn't have known this at the time. But I'm doing a book myself about on that sort of similar sort of topic. Yours, yours is better than mine, but, but like I said, it was a, no, it's an interesting topic. And what's your views on both of them? And obviously, is the life out there and about robotics? And I'm interested to know. Well, I, th I think I think to the answer to both is probably yes. I mean, um, in terms of life um, outside of the earth, my feeling would be there's certainly bacterial life that they're going to find because they're finding that water is pretty well everywhere. There's lots of planets going around, lots of stars, which they didn't know about, say, 10 years ago. Um, it's only a question of whether it's going to be anything as, a, as well, we call ourselves advanced civilization, whether or not a conscious um, form of life is going to be out there i don't know it's going to be quite rare i think but i can't see that it's ruled out i don't think there's any shall we say biblical reason why um why there should be no life and yeah, as, uh, yeah. so um and as far as uh, machines thinking are concerned well my own feeling would be that if machines get extremely complex then there will be something which would be akin to them becoming self-aware that's my feeling I mean, I can't prove it, but that would be my feeling, yeah, yeah. It could be something that's happened to generations to come, certainly, because it's, you look, you're, yeah. you're right, you say, you look at it, say, look at the way the advancements have been made in, what, past 20 years, even like that. You can see what, yeah. you can see in 20 years' time, well, obviously, who knows what, wherever we'll be in life like that, but there's going more major change again with technology, certainly, so we're heading to an interesting time, development, I'm not sure, so. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. And I, I, I recommend you look at that book particularly for that reason because it's I loved your stories about robots in that. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Now, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, um, I know. Obviously, I like to ask writers to conclude is uh, what do they have coming up next, like readings wise. In your case, now it's very very hard at the moment, isn't it? Because we're obviously like the way the country's been in lockdown. But do you have any sort of um, ideas where you'd like your writing to go next? Do you have a possible another, another collection there? Um, I do have another collection. Uh, uh, I think it would still be focused towards the sort of science, sciencey end of things. Uh, it's it's um, uh, provisionally called. It came out of the blue to boldly go. <laughs> oh, brilliant! Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's life, Jim, but not as we know it. Um, and the thought, the thought came, you know, that in a way, there's, there's been so many ways in which uh, man has sort of looked ahead and uh, invented things. Um, maybe there'll be a dark side to it in the sense that a lot of things quite often go wrong. You know, maybe mankind can be a bit too, um, shall we say, overfull of itself. I think the coronavirus puts us in our place to some extent. It does I mean, make you wonder whether that's nature of action to try and knock us down. Knock absolutely. Us down. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we've got to look after the planet, otherwise it's going to do us in, frankly, you know. Yeah. You look at the case of moment, I'm sure you would have given ten ten news as well. There's been lots of cases of nature, and then nature's all about reclaiming certain things. Mm. Um, it was that town yeah. of Wales, wasn't it, where all the was it the Rams came down to investigate it and took the town over. <laughs> So yeah, <laughs> yeah, said, yeah. yeah. It's your time yeah. to be. I agree with you completely with that. So good yeah, yeah. Anyway, I mean, I'm not rushing into another collection. I haven't sold. I haven't sold out the last one. <laughs> uh, dear. But um, yeah, I keep writing. At the moment, I'm doing this um, poem a day. You know, Napo Rimo. Oh no, brilliant! Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm so so far. Yeah, day 14, I've kept up. I've done about 15, 16 poems so far in April. Is it is so, this the first time you've done Napa Wine, Napa Wine World? No, I, I did do about, I think last year I managed to produce about 20 poems. I mean, the, the, basically, I mean, it, it just oils the wheels a bit and you get to, you feel you can write something down, even if you look back at it later and think, well, that's not going anywhere. No, I think it's, a great, a great, it's a great idea. I love to get kicked up the backside and say, you write about this, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, I, the main thing, I get very worried if I don't write. <laughs> That's right. That's why I'm like the sort of person I am. Like, I'm used to writing because I've probably been in lockdown myself at the moment. I'm trying yeah, to write yeah. something every day myself. And I'm doing lots of podcasts. I do a lot of music and on top of that. So it's yeah. like just trying to be creative all the time and... I know what you mean, like it's you do worry, don't you? If you're not if you're not writing all the time, like you said, certainly. Yeah, so, yeah. Do you yeah, find really, uh, when yeah. you're not in Napaway now then, do you find does you does your work come quite I won't say quickly is the word, but are you giving you quite prolific with it, even if it doesn't work, doesn't go anywhere? Um yeah, I think it it works. It works for me in the sense that I feel I feel almost like when I see the prompt, I feel a sort of pressure to put pen to paper. And uh, I don't always know what's going to come out from that. But um, like today, for example, I've already written a poem from the prompt for this morning before I've talked to you. Wow. Um, because they were, they, were, they were asking about write a poem which, which brings in 
um, poets that you've um, had an impression on you and had an influence on you. And I thought, well, that's a bit vague. But there's one poet that I read very, very early on. And in fact, the very, very first poetry collection that I bought was the collected poems of Raymond Carver. Oh, yeah. And it's called All of Us. And it's all of his poems that he wrote in a great rush, more, mostly towards the end of his life. He died quite early from uh, lung cancer. And there's one beautiful poem, which I, which I, if I'm asked for a favorite poem, I will always read out, which is called, Happy, which is called Happiness. Oh, yeah. And it's just a very, it's done in very, very plain language. And it's just him sitting in the morning with a cup of coffee, watching two boys walking down the road, delivering newspapers. And the two boys are obviously great friends and they're obviously happy together. And that's really the whole subject of the poem. So I wrote a poem. Remember, I, I, I said at the beginning that I started writing on a Greek island due to grief. So my poem, which is which is following in the form of the Carver poem, is called Grief. And that's what I wrote this morning. Oh, right. You know, I'm more familiar with his short stories, Trip told you. Yes, yes, he's well known for short stories. Yeah. Really, so that's why I knew his name straight away then. But like, um, yeah, yeah. I, I take it obviously, no one, knowing some man you are, you, you've been familiar with both of them, wouldn't you? So, so how do his poetry compare then to his short stories? People that don't know. Well, I must admit, I have not read his short stories. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is probably a, maybe maybe during the lockdown, I should actually get hold of them because I love. <laughs> I love his poetry. I love the poetry. It really, uh, the poetry really speaks to me. Really, it's, it goes straight in. It's nothing obscure. No poetical shenanigans. You know, no flowery bits. It's just straight to the heart. It's really wonderful stuff. Really? Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <laughs> oh, well, what to do, Martin? That's pretty all my questions about to ask you anyway. So, if people want to find out more about you, where are they best going on the internet? Oh wow! Um, I know you've, well, got, I a, suppose... you've got a page in Cinnamon, haven't you? List that list your work. Um, yes, yes. I mean, I think uh, yeah. I don't have a blog or anything like that. Um, I think if you look up my name on uh, you know, on uh, Wikipedia or whatever it is, um, my the books will come up, uh, but they won't say very much about me, really. Um, well, you know, um, personally. Um, so I don't know. Um, it's uh, yeah, difficult. Um, what I do is um, when I do when I do a write up, Martin, on all these podcasts, I'll basically put links up to basically people can track your books down, so I can see them quite easily here. I can see them yourself. Yeah, yeah. No problem. That'd be a pleasure. That's yeah. fine. Okay. Yeah. That's all my questions anyway. So what we'll do is we'll pause the recording for a moment and give you a chance to get some of your poems ready for us, Martin. If you're okay with that. Okay. Right, thank you again. It's been fascinating, Thomas. I've enjoyed this today. So, hang on, everybody. Martin and me, we're back in a minute. Spock. Hi, guys. I'm Dean Martin. I'm still here. So, straight over to Martin. He's got four points for us, and I'm looking forward to this. Over to you, Martin, my friend. Thank you, Andy. Uh, the first poem is the first poem in the uh, new collection, Is Anyone There? Uh, it's called Lonelyville. And basically, um, I suppose it's about my past friends 
friends I met at college and friends who I didn't keep contact with. There's a certain amount of nostalgia in it. Um, anyway, this is Lonelyville. Last night, Elvis returned from the far side of the moon and met me in a small town where he once performed Heartbreak Hotel. I remember hearing it that first student summer in West End coffee bars, rolling old fag ends with my new companions. I wonder if they recall those smoke-filled evenings, rock music blazing, frothy moustaches as we sipped our espressos. We didn't want to leave. Elvis knows all about them, those friends without names. His image blurs as he sings, flickering in the small hours in a silent film of young faces. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay. Yeah, I remember, I remember doing that one on Black Cat Poets. And yeah, I did that one, yeah. Yes, yeah, slightly off track, I'll tell you a quick story actually as well. We'll come back to you for in a second. I've just done the podcast of an American gentleman, so probably a few years younger than you, and he's actually yeah. just formed a house band playing where he lived in where he lives and I forget forget where it was. But it turns mm. out um, the bass player in his band used to play play for Elvis's touring band for over 30 years. Oh right. So you ask my tennis There you go. Yes, more yeah. so yes, I always remember Heartbreak Hotel. <laughs> yeah I know it's one of my dad's favourite records as well the Elvis is that one so okay. Oh back back to you Martin number two. Okay. Well, this one's called Zombie. I'm interested in zombies in the sense that, um, not that I look at a lot of zombie movies, but the idea that you can have somebody who looks like a human who obviously doesn't have a human mind. And I suppose the question is, where do our minds come from? But this one also is got a political tinge, which I think comes out. So this is Zombie. Don't let the legends mislead you. We're keen on personal hygiene. I shower every day, sometimes twice. I can tell you a thing or two about showers. I have eaten the flesh of millions, rejoiced in the tidiness of lists, followed orders from above, an instrument without guilt. Look, I am moving towards you, arms outstretched, goose-stepping in welcome as you step from the train. This is the law. I am not responsible. Each dawn I am reanimated, ready to draw up another list of numbers. So many zeros, I am bloated with them. You call me bureaucrat, desk murderer. But when the order comes, tendons twitch, watery eyes open wide in response. Someone must move. Someone must act. There can be no alternative. How it all began, I can't remember. There was a time when it was easy to tell the living from the undead. After Van Zay, everything changed. Look at my neck, no sign of a bolt, and the stitches have begun to heal. I walk the streets of Buenos Aires, innocent as the day I was created. Brilliant. Yeah. I, I definitely remember that one, because the, yeah. the man, the my little lady, she writes horror stories, and she's got several novels wrote about zombies. And I remember yeah. grabbing my hand tightly out on her, looking at me, thinking, oh, <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Okay, what's your third one then? Okay, the third one was triggered by um, an article uh, from I think it's about four, five, four years ago, which was that um, it said the UK's first double hand transplant awoke from a 12 hour operation with two new sets of fingers and had transplanted somebody else's hands onto this chap who'd had the industrial accident. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. I mean, how do you deal with the fact that you're interacting with the world with somebody else's hands? Yeah. Wow. 
yeah. right, which had had somebody else's experiences. So this is hands. It's not like wearing leather gloves. This is for real, the weld of tissue, bone to severed stumps. White flesh imbibes the ruddiness of life, then shudders as an alien command. A finger twitches. It displays no loyalty to donor meat, no tear or thought, no dumb relief not to be ash, no memory of goodbye waves, past loves held close. The patient chews his nails, flexes each knuckle as if born to it, admires blotches, childhood scars from scraps he never fought, holds out his hands. Wow, yeah, I got that one straight away. I remember that one from Black Cat Poets as well. My memory was getting good. Yeah, I remember, I remember I when, I, when I see poets at work, I really try to do scribble stuff down sometimes. I remember that writing the word, check out Martin to find hands. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, I'm looking to the grand conclusion now, aren't we, Martin? Okay, the grand conclusion, which is the last poem in the uh, in the collection, and it was um, I read a poem by one of the New York poets, Edward Koch, and um, he wrote a poem called "To My Twenties." And I thought this is an interesting idea. He treated that decade of his life as if he was talking to a person, and I thought, well, that's a great idea. Yeah. So I thought, now which decade should I um, should I choose? And I thought, well, look a little into the future. So this is to my nineties. <laughs> Brilliant. You'd better get your skates on, or at least your boots, and get out there, old dribbler, before it's too late. I may not meet you in the hills, struggling through Kinder Pete. Thirteen miles, fifteen, no problem. Or so I thought, as hair thinned and Christmas followed Easter, as if in a time machine that ate old friends for breakfast. You stand patient near the finish line as I pull myself up for the final sprint. Nothing lasts forever. Not hips, not brain cells. I need a project. I'll make you my project. Wait for me. Brilliant. Oh yeah, completely. No, knowing what, knowing the sort of man you are, Martin, you're like you've got a great my dad the same reason, the same mentality. Where you've got that sort of I can well imagine you be writing in another 10, 20 years' time, don't you? And still carrying on <laughs> I'll be getting a telegram from the Queen. <laughs> so probably knowing you, you probably write a poem first of all, won't you? About robots. <laughs> well, that would be lovely. That would be lovely. That would be lovely. Yeah, that's one of the things about the lockdown. I feel that time is being wasted, which I can ill afford. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Do you think you always find like kids, and when you get sort of certain ages, some people you see them where like still powering ahead. You are. I remember Scott saying this about you when I first saw you that night. I thought, yeah. Scott is dead right. Like you were like the way you your mind's acting, right? Your your mind is acting as much when people are half of a third of your age, basically. And that's how I think you're yeah. like, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. I've really yeah. enjoyed yeah. it. So yeah. Thank I'm, you, Andy. Thank I'm you. I've got it in my head to base it and I've just been looking online when we were chatting. Um, and I found you for your current book and I'm going to be ordering that this afternoon, I'll tell you truthfully now. <laughs> so, so straight away. No, but I, I recommend it. <laughs> really a pleasure chatting to today, Martin. So Thank you very much, Andy. Thank you. No problem. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Any, any publicity is good. <laughs> Let me start. Early off, Mike. Thank you again. It's been brilliant today. Really, really enjoyed it. Okay, then. Thanks, Andy. Hope to meet you again. Spoken Label. Thanks again for listening to another session of Spoken Label. Our full archive can be found over on Bandcamp at Spoken Label. That's one word. 
spoken label full stop bandcamp.com and there is over 150 sessions there so I'm sure that if you've enjoyed this session there'll be something else there you can enjoy as well take care have a spoken label